Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and get into Mark chapter 6 tonight. I really hope you're reading the gospel of Mark. If you won't read the gospel of Mark, there is almost no chance that you will read any other gospel in the Bible. Matthew is uh, longer by chapter. Luke is the longest gospel of the four by the number of sheer words. It takes longer to read Luke. And John is so deep theologically that if you will not read this short little gospel of Mark, then you probably are just, you know, not going to do a whole lot of gospel reading. Plus, if you're a dude, and I thank God for having men in the church, even though we're outnumbered tonight, guys, I think we could take them, though, coach, in a basketball game right now. We just feed you low and just let you win it for us. <laughs> you! Uh, we were really going to be outnumbered then. Um, we... Mark is such an action book. And that's not to say, you know, they say movies for guys who like movies. You know, y'all make a man watch a chick flick. Y'all ought to watch action flick every now and then. Amen? Let me stop meddling and get into the word. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, the Bible says this. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, Listen to the Lord Teach. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you allow us to live in a country that yet has religious freedom, that allows us to have Bibles, that allows us to read the words that are recorded, that give us the message of your love for us. And I pray tonight, God, as we look to your holy an inspired word that you would teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 34, I'm going to try to get through as much of uh, this chapter as I can tonight. I'm just going to hit some highlights. But as I was reading this, I thought, I hope that when other people read this, they're pulling some stuff out of this. Because if you just read to read, then you're not getting what God wants you to get when you read the word. I want you to make a dedicated effort that when you read the Bible, you determine I'm going to get something from what I read. No matter how slow I have to read, no matter how, how little I have to take in, you have to learn how to digest what you read. And that's why I always tell you to pay attention to the punctuation. That's why I tell you to read in small bite-sized pieces. Read, get a good study Bible that divides it into headings and subheadings, pericopes and paragraphs. And I want you to try to look at this with me. Uh, tonight as we try to go through some of this in Mark's gospel chapter 6 there's a bunch of people following Jesus at this point in Jesus ministry see the gospels tell the actual life story of Jesus Christ and each writer is allowed by God's providence to tell us what he saw and how he witnessed everything that they witnessed as the life of the Lord was spelled out and you got to understand when you're reading the Bible this is not a work of fiction. This isn't just man's opinion. This isn't just something that is somebody's made-up story. These are the actual words that God wants us to have. People have asked me for years which version of the Bible is the best one to read, and I tell them the same thing, whichever one you read. You might be a King James Version snob, but if it sits on your coffee table, it's not doing you any good. We had a giant Bible, remember that white Catholic Bible that we had growing up, it sat on our coffee table in the room that you weren't allowed to sit in. Did y'all have any of those? Plastic on the furniture? Y'all don't remember that. Y'all didn't, didn't grow up right. Y'all remember that room, mom and dad didn't let you sit in that room. We don't know why it was there. We don't know why that furniture still had plastic on it, but that was there. White Catholic Bible was there, but nobody ever read it. And Whatever version that you love the most, if you don't read it, then it's not doing you any good. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is so real, that God is so alive, that God loves us so much and desires to speak to us so much. Whether you pick up the King James Version or the New King James Version, whether you pick up the New Living Translation or the New American Standard Version Bible, I believe that if you will read it and ask God to talk to you, that he will talk to you. Can we agree on that? In verse 34, the Bible says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat so at this point in the Lord's ministry he's got a lot of people following him and there are seasons of fellowship 
And sometimes, I mean, if you, every church could say the same thing. If we had all the people show up on one Sunday that have ever been in the door, in, in this church, we wouldn't have room to put them. That's every church in America. Sometimes people come to church, sometimes they don't. Sometimes people come to church are following God. Some people come to church, they're not even following God. Coming to church doesn't necessarily mean that you're following God, but not coming to church is a pretty good indication that you're not even trying. That's a different message for a different time, but let me keep moving. Lots of people are following Jesus. Uh, he stepped from the boat, verse 34 says, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. If you don't get anything from this teaching tonight, I want you to see this phrase right in the middle of this verse. He had compassion on them. Our God is a compassionate God. Christians aren't always compassionate, but our God is compassionate. Pastors aren't always compassionate. Deacons aren't always compassionate. People who know a lot about the Bible aren't always compassionate, but our God is compassionate. And the Scripture says that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't esteem one person higher than the next, that he treats each of us the same. What he's done for others, he'll do for you because he never changes. And the fact that when Jesus saw people 2,000 years ago and their condition caused him to be compassionate, I want you to know your condition today causes compassion in the heart of God. That's so deep y'all are taking that in because nobody's saying anything. But you need to know that God is aware of you. You need to know that God knows your situation. You need to know that God knows your struggle. He knows your pain. He knew all about Joyce's back injury. He knew all about my back injury. He knows all about whatever you're going through. He knows about your family. The Bible says he, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Deacon Jimmy's making that easier as time goes by. Um, you know, a lot of us can guess those. Stacy, I can guess the number on yours right now, as long as we don't include eyebrows or the back of your neck. But I, we can figure most of that out on bald-headed men. But even when bald-headed men and formerly thicker-headed men had more hair, and on you thick-haired women, God knows every hair on your head. You need to understand that. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. He knows everything about you. And your situation causes you to have compassion. I believe one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to get you to create a hee-haw party. That gloom, despair, and agony on me. That pity party. That nobody loves me. That, that self-down, no, nobody understands what I'm going through type thing. You need to know God understands what you're going through. And when you say, and I've had people tell me, Pastor, I just don't believe anybody cares about me. I feel all alone in the world. I, f I feel like everybody is so busy concentrating on everybody else, nobody's concerned about what I'm concerned about. God is. And you need to let that be comforting to you. You need to let that be your strength uh, in time of struggle because the Scripture says that he has compassion on people because he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus lived in a time where there were sheep everywhere and shepherding was a profession. There was a movie that came out in the late 70s, early 80s called Fletch. It was a ridiculously stupid movie with Chevy Chase in it. And he got arrested, and they asked him what his profession was. And he said, I'm a shepherd. I laughed so hard when he said that. I don't know why. I wasn't even a Christian. But when he said, I'm a shepherd, I thought, it's just hilarious. Ain't nobody a shepherd. He just told the law. They asked him, what do you do? What is, what's your job? He said, I'm a shepherd. Well, Jesus lived in a time where shepherds were common. And people understood what shepherds do. I mean, they're, they're different. People have different jobs. Uh, Deacon Jimmy builds fences. I've never built fences for a living, but I have put fences up in my own yard. I could put up a fence. I wouldn't be as straight as the ones that Deacon Jimmy builds, and it wouldn't be as professional as the one Deacon Jimmy builds. But I know a little bit about fence building. I don't know enough about it. I don't know as much about it as a professional. Melvin does a lot of construction. I, I know how to nail two boards together, but I don't know as much about it as Melvin would as a professional would know about it. We can figure out a little something about shepherding in 2016 because, you know, especially you've been in church for a while, you've heard about sheep, you've heard about shepherds. But back then, shepherding was very common, and people understood what a shepherd did. And when Jesus said he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, it wasn't, it wasn't just like seeing a dog without an owner. 
You put a dog out there today, a dog will get by. Sheep can't get by without a shepherd. Sheep have to have someone to look after them, to tend for them. And I want you to know there are a lot of people living lives right now still like sheep without a shepherd. Even people who claim the name of Christ are living their life as if they have no shepherd. One of the psalmist's greatest comforts was that he realized the Lord was his shepherd. And you need to understand that if you claim the name of Christ, if you're a Christian, that God is your shepherd. And that Jesus is a great shepherd. And he is a compassionate shepherd. And he wants to protect you. He wants to care for you. He wants to know you. He wants to carry you when you're hurt. And he wants to correct you when you're going wrong. And because of his compassion, because of his love, because of the ownership he felt toward his people, verse 34 says he began teaching them many things. I wonder if you had to write down tonight everything that you know about the Lord. How much could you write? If you had to write down everything you feel like the Lord has taught you in life, how much can you write? I can remember when Dina and I first got saved and we were just devouring the Bible and just reading the Bible for hours a day and just hanging out with people who just lived inside the Word and uh, just, I mean, it was so, we were were involved in such a group of active uh, Christian people that my mom called the church and asked them what kind of cult they were running and why were they brainwashing her son. And whenever Dina would find something that the Lord just spoke into her heart as she would read the scripture, she, she would call me on the phone. We couldn't text each other. There was no internet. There, there was no texting. There were no cell phones. Uh, she would call me on that phone that hung by the kitchen wall, or she would tell me when she's, yeah, you dial it and wait on it to go, and tell me, I found a nugget, and I just want to share it with you. Uncovered treasure inside the Bible. I wonder when the last time you read something in the Bible and it so jumped off the page into your spirit that you could honestly say, I just felt like the Lord spoke to me from what I was reading. If you're reading the Bible and the Lord's not speaking to you, you're in trouble. You need to read differently or read more or read slower. Or pay more attention to your comprehension. You need to prioritize it at a higher level. You need to get some sin out of your life. You need to do something to position yourself to where when you read the scripture, the Lord is teaching you. Verse 35 says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Now, I'm going to speed read through this, and I'm going to read it faster than I would read it if I was studying it for myself. And I'm going to read it faster than I want you to read it. But I'm going to gloss through some of this, and I want to just pluck out some stuff. And I hope that you will take your time when you read the Gospel of Mark, and you will think about some of these things that we uncover tonight. Late in the afternoon, disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Church folk, worrying about the time. That's still today. Church folk worrying about the time. It's getting late. When's this going to be over? Because I got stuff to do. What possibly could have been more important going on in their life than God manifest in the flesh, speaking words out of his mouth into their ears, teaching them, and these disciples like, hey, man, it's getting late. You want to wrap this thing up? Now, that sounds so obnoxious and so ridiculous, but how many people sit in churches wondering, How much longer is this going to go? See, because at Abundant Life, whether it's me or or one of the elders or one of the deacons uh, or a guest speaker speaking, we're not up here to hear the voice of a human being. We're hoping that somewhere through the personalities, through the humor, through, through the oratory ability that God will speak to someone. And you shouldn't be in a rush when God is speaking. See, the disciples did some stuff wrong, but right, but they did a lot of stuff wrong. And the Bible says that we have these stories as our examples so we can learn from them. And when you read this, you ought to see what they did right and what they did wrong. And you ought to model what they did right, and you ought to avoid what they did wrong. They tell the Lord, hey, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, and it is getting late. If I asked the average Christian, would you interrupt the Lord when he was talking? If God came to your house and was sitting down with you and your children and he was teaching you, would you tell him, all right, us, we want to wrap this thing up because, you know, we got baths to get? You would say, no, you wouldn't. Listen, don't be in a hurry on the Lord. 
Don't be in a hurry on the Lord. Be in a hurry on other stuff. Get off social media. Get off television. Get off surfing the Internet. Get off texting. Get off talking on the phone so much. I'm not saying don't ever do those things, but if you're going to rush through something, rush through dinner. Rush through your shower. Rush, rush through how long it takes you to eat breakfast. Don't rush through the Lord talking to you. That's not the time to be in a hurry. Verse 36, it, it, it continues what they're telling the Lord, and this is just so ridiculous to me that they're going to tell the Lord something. Uh, but we still do that today. We say, he's my God. He's my king. I'm surrendered to him. Uh, but, you know, I got to do me. We need to decide, are we really surrendered to him? Is he really the boss, or do we just give him an hour on Sunday, an hour on Wednesday? Is he really the boss, or do we just allow him access to certain parts of our life, and we are the boss on other parts of our life? See, because here these disciples are. They've already seen Jesus do miracles. They've already seen Jesus raise the dead, and they know who he is, but they're bossing him around. They're, 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 they're trying to get in the way of ministry. You know, sometimes even well-intending people can get in the way of ministry. Don't get in the way. Give God time. They said, send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. A lot of times as Christian leaders, we get it in our mind how ministry ought to be done. But I want you to know we ought to always allow God to move how he chooses to move. We say, man, we see, you see how few people are here right now. What if we just started having church till 9, 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning? Now, people would say, well, if God was moving, that'd be awesome and that'd be okay. And I'd let my children sleep on pews like we did in the old church. Well, God's always moving. Did you hear me? God is always moving. God is always speaking and God is always present. Some people can come to church and feel like the Lord said something to them. In the exact same service, somebody sitting close nearby them or right next to them could feel like it was a bust and boring and I hope it's better next week. And it's not about the speaker. It's about the listener. That's why you, the Bible says we got to pray that God would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. See, Jesus was teaching them lots of stuff, but their ears weren't receiving. I wonder when you come to church, for the teaching time, are you trying even to allow the Lord to speak to you? Or do you have dinner on the mind? Bedtime. Kids got to get, hey, I got all these things, too. I'm a single parent. I got two kids. I got to get them fed. I got to get them bathed. I got to get them in bed. That's every night. It don't stop. If you're a parent with children in your house, you know that. If you don't have children in your house, you got to get yourself cleaned up and in bed. That don't stop either. We live on a timetable. But we need to learn how not to take the Lord's time and rush on it. And we need to learn how not to try to put God in a box but give him room to do it how he wanted to do it. They thought, it's getting late. The reasonable thing to do would be to send everybody home and let them get some food and get on about their business. Listen, don't always worry about what's reasonable. Just seek the Lord. God might want you to do something that you find less than reasonable. God might want you just to stay up and pray all night long and still go to work tomorrow. God might want you to, just to sing more tonight than you normally do. God might want you to read more than you normally do. Don't, don't just try to use logic all the time because God is bigger than logic and too many people put God in a box. And they were trying to put Jesus in a box and Jesus turned it on them in verse 37. And he said, you feed them. You see, the three words, you feed them. They're like, hey, there's a lot of people here. It's getting late. They're hungry, send them home to eat. He said, you feed them. And that's why I've said it. Pastor Guillermo said it. Our missionary from Nicaragua, when he was here last month, said it. A lot of times you start praying for God to do something, to help somebody else, guess who he might pick to do it? That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a blessing to be used of the Lord, but so many times we want somebody else to do it. We want the pastor to do it. We want the church to do it. We want anybody other than us to do it. And Jesus said, you feed them. I want you to know we are still under a you feed them mandate. We are still under a you be nice to the people God cares about mandate. We just saw that he was compassionate about them. We just saw that he saw them as helpless people that were in a desperate situation that needed somebody to take care of them. And when the disciples 
wanted them, when the religious leaders wanted them to, to take, to let them go home and fend for themselves, Jesus said, no, you feed them. And they asked a legitimate question. They said, well, what? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. I'm reading out a New Living Translation. In, in the King James Version, it, it says, uh, verse 37, he said, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? The, the penny worth that they're talking about was the Greek coin uh, denarii, and it was a rural worker's daily wage. And saying we'd have to work 200 days. We'd have to work for eight months, almost seven months every day, Monday through Friday, eight months counting on weekends off to get enough money to feed this crowd. How do you want us to come up with all that? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. What do I see when I read that? They're thinking in the natural about what God can do. You're like, well, okay, that's them. What's that got to do with me? Well, we do the same thing. We think in the natural about what God can do. We pray for stuff and then figure out in our mind whether or not it's reasonable that God is even going to fix it. We think about stuff in our mind and we ration out how we're going to, you know, make it work when really we just need to turn everything over to God and let him lead us. He tells them to do something, and instead of them asking for the next piece of instruction or saying, okay, whatever you tell us to do, God, we'll do it. Remember, when Jesus performed his first miracle, every alcoholic ought to know what Jesus' first miracle was. What did he do? Water and wine. What did his mama say to all the people around him? Whatever he tells you to do, you do that because we're out of gas. We're in a party, and we messed up. We didn't order enough to drink. Things going bad, making, making us look bad like we can't host a wedding. We don't know what to do. We can't handle it. It's beyond us. Whatever he says, do what he says. Well, 2016, you know, we're smart people. We're educated people. We have technology. We have degrees. We have advanced degrees. We have minds. We have the Internet. We can Google it, or we can do what he tells us to do. See, this is why simple people outpray educated people. Not always. I'm not bashing you if you're educated. You might be a praying educated person. I'll tell you this. Women, by and large, outpray men. That's not saying that men don't pray and that every woman's a praying woman. I'm just talking about in mass number. Why? Because educated people want to sit around and figure out the best way to do it instead of praying and asking for God's help because prayer is the ultimate act of humility because prayer is an admission that says it's beyond me and I need your help. And that's why men don't like to pray by and large. Why? We're going to make it work. Go ahead and, and, and give us a box. We don't need the instructions. We're going to put it together. There'll be nine pieces left over. The manufacturer put in extra pieces for people that don't know how to build. Ain't that right? It leans to the left. That's trendish. That's how it's supposed to be. Am I right, Stacy? It was supposed to be. They built it to look like that. That's how you know you put it together right. Now, men, by and large, we want to put our hands on it. We, we, we want to struggle it and strain it and force it to work. Hey, I, I grew up being told, you can fix anything with a hammer. Hit it hard enough. Y'all remember old TVs? These smart people be out there messing with, with, with antennas and cables and stuff. What 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 the average man do? There it is. Fixed it. <laughs> what, yeah, beat it. Men want to put their hands on something. Now, there's some women like that, too. I mean, there, there's some strong-willed women that are just like, I can do anything. Just let me, let me get at it, and I will fix it. There's nothing wrong with a can-do attitude, and there's nothing wrong with being determined, but you need to make sure that you give God room to work. Prayer is an admission that says it's beyond me. I can't do it. And we need to get to the place where Jesus' mother was. They're looking at her like, what are we going to do? She's like, Jesus? He's like, I ain't got nothing to do with this. And she's like, but I can't do it, and you can. He's like, all right. She's like, well, y'all do what he says. Are you willing to admit that there's things you can't do?
Are you willing to admit you need the Lord? Are you? See, this is why I, I, I really, I really don't get today's music. I don't. Now, I don't even get most of today's Christian music. Because a lot of it that I listen to is singing about what I'm going to do, what we're going to do. It's, 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 it's a lot of people-focused stuff. Um, if I'm going to sing about me and what I'm going to do, I want to sing some old song like, It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. If I'm going to sing about me, I'm going to sing about my deficiency. I'm not going to sing about my empowerment because I understand that I need God. Well, you need to recognize how bold and strong and, and mighty you are in God. All that sounds good on television, but you know how desperately you need the Lord. And if you don't, you need to take a better look at things. And instead of asking them for what he should do, they're trying to figure out stuff in their heads. So Jesus said, all right, well, let's work through this. Verse 38, how much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. How many loaves of bread do they have? How many fish? Five loaves of bread, two fish. Now, this ain't like the bread we get in stores, big loaves already cut up. This is small pieces of bread uh, in individual. You know, here's your piece of cornbread. Um, and this was just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. This was like a lunch. And so they said, we got this much bread and this much fish. Verse 39, then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. All right, now here's where the ridiculous part comes in. Originally, logical people that love the Lord, trying to get ministry done, tell Jesus, hey, it's getting late, let's shut it down and send them home. Then Jesus says, no, I'm not finished yet. So they go to say, okay, well, let's do things the way you want to do things. Now, people have moved outside of their realm of logic. They've moved outside of their realm of time. They've moved outside of their, we, we know how it's supposed to go and it's late at night and, you know, church supposed to shut down at a certain point of time. But now they've moved to realizing, hey, we're going to put this in the Lord's hands, let him do it how he wants to do it. And now they're on board. Say on board. They're on board because they've moved out of logic to sitting down people in rows to try to divide up some little piece of lunch for thousands of people. Now they got to be thinking bigger than logic at this point. If you don't get anything out of tonight, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Do you think bigger than logic? Do you think bigger than logic when it comes to what the Lord can do? Or do you put God in a box of reasonability? Do you put God in a box of logic that says, well, this, this, is, this is the way I'd work it out, or this is what seems reasonable to me, and this is probably how it's going to go? Or do you just throw reason to, well, Pastor, we just can't be ignorant. No, but you can't obey the Lord. And if the Lord tells you to do something, no matter how wild it might seem, you need to do it. That, that's what I tell people to say, I can't afford to tithe. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 23, you must tithe. He didn't say whether or not you could afford, well, my budget don't give me room. Well, now you got a choice. Well, I don't have time to study and pray like I would like to. From the ditch digger to the president, we all have 24 hours. That's how much God gave us in a day. We've got enough time. Well, I don't like getting up early in the morning. I know I should get up early and spend more time in prayer than I do, but I don't like getting up early. Well, it's not about what you like, what you think, what you can reason, and what you can figure. It's about are you willing to obey. So now they've moved out of self-will into letting him be the boss and doing what he says against all of their own logic and all of their own rational thinking. He told them, go see how much food you got. He told them to sit the people down. So now they set the people down in groups, some groups of 50, some groups of 100. And in verse 41, the Bible says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. It's still just five loaves and two fish. They've, done, they've gone through all this, and all they have is still five loaves and two fish. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Whatever you have is all you have, and it'll never be more. Until you give it to God. Whatever you have is all you have. And you keep thinking about it and trying to figure out and seeing how it's going to work. But until you release it to the Lord, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's your emotions, whether it's your finances, whether it's your time, your logic, whatever it is, 
your relationships, whatever, your children, whatever it is, until you just decide, I'm at the end of my rope, I can't make it work, I can't do it as good as God can do it, I'm taking everything I have and I'm setting it right at the Lord's feet. He can do with it whatever he wants to do with it. They didn't say, what you going to do with five loaves? He said, how much you got? They said, they, what 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 they say? Five loaves and two fish. They didn't say, what you going to do with these five loaves and two fish? They didn't say, how you going to divide it out? He told them what to do. They started doing it. And in verse 41, Jesus took. Say took. Until he takes something that you've given him, all you're going to have is rationale and logic. All you're going to have is natural. And here's the problem. Even most church folk, even most people who claim the name of the Lord, everything about their life is logical and natural. It's not supernatural. It's not unto God. Most, most of our lives could be figured out. And until something's going on in your life that doesn't make sense, that nobody could figure out, Jesus probably hadn't took it yet. When stuff starts not making sense to you, when stuff starts being too big to figure out, then you can realize that the Lord is involved in it. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. Jesus didn't make extra stuff. Jesus didn't take his stuff. He took what people had, and he did something with it. I want you to get God wants to take what you have and do something with it. He took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them, them being the five loaves and two fish. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Listen, there is a principle that I want you to get from the feeding of thousands of people, whether it is in, in Mark 6, feeding the 5,000, or Mark 8, feeding 4,000. That's men plus women and children. The principle is this. He takes it, he blesses it, and he breaks it before he does anything miraculous with it. He did the same thing in the Last Supper. If you remember, he took the bread. The Bible says he blessed it and he broke it. You need God to bless you. Now, all of us have been blessed by the Lord. If you're saved, you're blessed. If you're not saved, you're still blessed because you're breathing. And, and God is working on you somehow because you're in church tonight. So we've all been blessed, but we haven't all been broken. We've all been cracked. We've all been chipped. We've all been bumped. We've all been bruised. But you got to let the Lord break you. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't, that doesn't sound easy. It's not fun, and it's not easy. If you were a piece of wood that a carpenter was sanding, you wouldn't enjoy the sanding. But it would be better for you that you be sanded. If you were gold, you wouldn't in, enjoy the refiner melting off the dross and scraping it off of you, but you would be better for it when the refiner got done with you. See, this process is the same from then till now you got to give everything you have to the lord so he can bless it that's what we like oh we love that if man if we're going to be obedient if we're going to be if we're if we're going to give our stuff to the lord and he can bless it that's awesome but before he does the miracle with it he does something after he blesses it what does he do he breaks it god wants to break you i'm gonna tell you this tonight god is going to break you god is going to break you God is going to break you emotionally. God is going to break you spiritually. Why? Because the Bible says the thing that God wants the most is a broken and a contrite heart. He doesn't want your pride. He doesn't want your logic. He doesn't want your rational thinking. He doesn't need your ability. He wants you to have a broken heart. Why? Because it's open once you break it. As long as it's closed off and walled off, it's not open you got to break it to get to the inside piece. That's what he meant when he said, unless uh, this grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, the shell has to crack open to get to the inside piece. God certainly wants to bless you. If we could have the promise of God that whatever we give to God in obedience, he's going to bless, then that's awesome. But if you realize he's going to bless it through breaking it, then that's when people want to pull back. And that's what happens. People come to church. They seek the Lord. God begins to bless them, and then they go through something. They don't like it. They go through something painful, and they retreat. They withdraw. Life's not working out. There's a breaking that has to happen. He takes it. He blesses it, and he breaks it. 
I want you to know if there's anything that's breaking in your life, you need to yield to that process and allow it to be. If there's anything that is broken in your life, you need to take your hands off it and yield it to God. And let him do what he's trying to do. We want to get out of the breaking so fast. We want to get out of the struggle so fast. We, we don't really want grace for our race and strength for our struggle. We just want deliverance from our dilemma. But that's not the process. The process is breaking before the finished product comes forth. He says, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Listen, here's the good news. If you have to be broken, let it be the Lord's hands that do it. You ought to be able to trust what you have into the Lord's hands. Your heart, your relationships, your mind, your money, your time, your children, your spirituality, your eternity. You ought to be able to trust the Lord's hands. Let him put his hands on it. you got to take your hands off it, though. As long as it was just some fish and some loaves, it was in the natural. It wasn't until it was turned over into the Lord's hand. He blessed it, and he broke it. This is the process of how God works. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But once it was left in his hands, it didn't stop it from being broken, but it did allow something miraculous to happen. Verse 42 says they all ate as much as they wanted. We're just dealing with five little pieces of chunks of bread and two little fish. And we're dealing with 5,000 men plus their families. And everybody ate off this. Why? Because when you put it in the Lord's hands, he does something special with it. He does something not understandable with it. I want you to let something happen in your life between now and the end of the year that nobody could explain. I want you to let something happen in your life between now and the end of the year that if you told it to somebody, they'd think you were lying. I want you to let something happen in your life so supernatural between now and the end of the year that you in your own mind would have to give credit to God and say, I couldn't have done that on my own. It had to be the Lord. Because most of what people are accomplishing, they can do on their own. Most of what churches are accomplishing, they can do on their own. There are seminars, there's formats, there's formulas to grow in a church. If I wanted this church to get bigger, I preach shorter, I never talk about sin, I stand at the door and kiss everybody on their way out. I don't do any of that. I'm an anti-formula guy. I'm, I'm here to read the scripture and cause it to make sense. That's what God anointed me to do. You take it, you eat on it, or you don't. But I got to give an account to God for what I teach. These people ate all as much as they wanted. Why? Because really there is no lack in the Lord. Your relationships may be lacking right now. You need to give them over to God. There might be some breaking in that process. But you need to let the Lord do with it what he's going to do with it. And however he distributes it after he takes it, it's the right thing. However he chooses to divide it out, it's the right thing. Verse 43 says, afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. And all this makes for great preaching to get people excited. They, they gave what little they had, and they got back more. And everybody gets excited about that part. Whatever you give to God, God's going to multiply. Well, yeah, because he's going to bless it and he's going to break it. Don't miss that part. They got back more than they started with. There is no lack in God. I want to tell you this. If there's any lack in any area in your life, I promise you this, it's because you got your hand on it. If you take your hand off it and you give it to the Lord, you do exactly what God tells you to do with it, even, even staying faithful through the breaking of it. Nobody said, hey, why are you tearing up my fish? That's my piece of fish. Why are you ripping the bread that way? We cut it from this side. Why are you giving me this piece? I wanted the other piece. No complaining, no bossing, no putting your hand on it, trusting and obeying. Doing what God says, lack goes away because there's no lack in God. And God always has more than what you need. Verse 44 says, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. So if 5,000 men plus their families, that's a lot of people. 
You don't have to have a lot for God to do something great with it. Too many people have believed the lie of the devil. Well, you know, I, I just, I'm just me. I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot to give. I don't, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not a great singer. I, I'm not a musician. I'm not a teacher. You, you want to list off all the things that you're not. You got something. It may be as insignificant as a couple of crumbs of bread and some small fish, but you've got something to give to the Lord. And when God's people give to God everything they have, he said, well, give me everything you got. And he said, all we have is five fish. They weren't holding nothing in the, back, in the front pocket or the back pocket. They rounded up everything they had, and they gave it to the Lord. When you begin to give everything that you have, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your love, all of your time, everything that you have, when you begin to give it to God, let him do with it what he wants to do with it, you are going to find out that he's better at dividing it than you are. We don't give everything to God because we're scared that, you know, he'll take from us that peace we want. But he's better at dividing it than we are. So he feeds 5,000 men and their families. Verse 45 says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. Remember how we started this deal? They wanted to send the people home. Jesus wants to do what he wants to do with you and then let him have the final say. You got to let God start making the decisions. What happens and what doesn't happen? In your life. But to do that, you got to take your hands off everything that you have. I'm rushing through this to try to get to the end. Verse 46 says, After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. If the Lord needed to get away from folk to pray, do you think we need to get away from folk to pray? I'm not going to ask you to do this because I don't want to have to counsel a church full of depressed people. But if you put a stopwatch on the time you hung up your phone, turned your phone off, shut the computer off, turned the TV off, and fell asleep, you know that time you're supposed to be spending the end of your day telling God that you love him and thanking him for the day? If you put a stopwatch on that amount of time, you think most people spend more time alone with God in that prayer time? You, what, what do you think lasts longer, that prayer time or the evening news? Believe it. Jesus understood the importance of being alone, getting quiet, and talking to God. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to understand the importance of getting alone, being quiet, and talking to God. You've got to disconnect from everything else so you can connect to God. Verse 47 says, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. Now, here comes this part about Jesus walking on the water. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush through this to get to the one verse I want to get through. If you've been around church for a while, you probably heard this story. Verse 48 says, He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing and struggling against the wind and the waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. What's Jesus been doing till 3 o'clock in the morning? Try that sometime. He came walking toward them, walking on the water. Now, he didn't have to be to work at seven. So, you know, you give, God, give God the time, morning, noon, and night. It don't have to be to 3 o'clock in the morning. He comes walking on the water. Look, look at what the word said. He intended to go past them. <laughs> He's doing him. You need to realize God is bigger than you. God is bigger than your church. God is bigger than your ethnicity. God is bigger than your political party. God is bigger than your nationality. God's got his own plan in his head. God's got a purpose. And it, it don't always include us. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be all right with God having his way. Because he's so compassionate that in verse 49 when they saw him walking on the water. They cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them in verse 50 and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Now, you want something to write on an index card, put in the visor of your car? You want a Bible verse to put on your, on your shirt? Put Mark 650 there. Put that last part. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. 
Three things he said. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Do you recognize that in your own life? Do you know that he's here? Do you know he is in your struggle? See, they weren't having a good time, but he said, I'm here. They were in a bad way. These were professional fishermen. They were on the lake behind their house. They knew where they were, and they were scared to death because they were in a special kind of storm. In your worst moment, you need to realize, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to let the Lord strengthen me because I know he's here. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. You don't have to explain the wind and the storm to God. He's the master of the wind. Don't be afraid. The devil wants you to be afraid. The devil wants you to stay up late at night thinking of every possible scenario of what might happen so you won't get to doing what you need to be doing, which is saying your prayers, reading your Bible, making good choices, and getting a good night's sleep. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Then in verse 51, he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. In verse 52, the last verse I'm going to give you, because this is what I want you to think about tonight. All that, but close with this. Verse 52 says, they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. See, some of y'all heard that. And some of y'all didn't. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. He just saved their life. He just came walking on the water. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Okay, if you see in verse 52, the first word is for. It doesn't start with a capital letter. Anybody know why? That's not the beginning of the sentence. Put verse 51 back up there. They were totally amazed, comma. They were amazed. Look at verse 42. Why were they amazed that he was walking on the water? Because they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. They were amazed that he was walking on the water. They were amazed that he was doing something huge. They were amazed that he was doing something that they didn't understand because even though they just participated, just participated that same day in passing out this food, in the miracle of the fishes and the loaves, they didn't understand the significance of it. Was the significance that they didn't understand. This is it, and you need to get this. Jesus is God. He can do anything. He can multiply fish. He can multiply loaves. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. But we're worried that, you know, he can't, he, he, he can't make your, your back better. He, he can't help your children. He can't do whatever it is that you're nervous or worried about. I wish I had a truth meter. I hang it on everybody's neck and just see how much truth you were telling and ask you, what's the biggest thing you're worrying about right now? What's, what's the thing you're most concerned about right now? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a personal situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's financial. What's the biggest thing that you're worried about right now? If you are worried about anything, you do not understand the significance of the miracle of the fish and the loaves. And you know why? Because your heart is too hard to take it in. People worry because their hearts are too hard. People are fearful because their hearts are too hard. People don't understand because their hearts are too hard. What are we supposed to understand? Jesus can do anything because he's God. Theologians talk in this passage about the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus was the very embodiment of God in the flesh, that he wasn't bound by natural limits, 
of time, space, and eternity that not only could he walk on water, he, he could raise the dead, all these big things. Listen, we need to understand that the, the Jesus that we talk about in this Bible is not just some dude. And he's not limited to what we can understand, rationalize, and try to figure out. See, when your heart gets hard to the realization that he's bigger than me, you're going to miss out on everything God has for you. When your heart gets hard to the truth of he's God and I'm not, they're shocked because Jesus is walking on the water. If I drop this napkin right now and it hits the floor, is anybody going to be shocked? No, because we expect that to happen. We believe that that will happen. Wouldn't shock us. Wouldn't amaze us in any kind of way. We would readily accept the fact, well, that's how it was supposed to happen. You need to readily accept the fact that Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. And that he always does the right thing. You need to readily accept the fact that Jesus is compassionate. He's loving. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than us. He's God. And nothing can bind him. You need to get God out of your box. You need to let him be bigger in your mind. See, this was what was wrong with them. They had just seen the miracle of the fish and the loaves, but because it didn't really have any significance to them, oh, yeah, so what? That was then. This is now. If we had time, hopefully there would be people in this room. Well, Joyce already gave testimony about her back injury and what God was able to do with that. Beyond what the doctors would have expected, beyond what human reasoning would say, God stepped in and did something bigger. And if we had enough time, hopefully there'd be more people other than just Joyce that could say, I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. I know for sure because God did such and such. Everybody needs to have that testimony. If you don't have your own testimony, get around some Christian friends who have a testimony of God doing something major. Because what hardens your heart is forgetting how big God is. They didn't understand. The thing that freaked them out, they were scared, they were struggling, and they were freaked out. The, ver the, the phrase in verse 51 says they were totally amazed. It means they were undone. Put verse 51 on there. That last phrase, they were totally amazed. They were beside themselves. They were totally outside their element because just moments earlier, something huge had happened and they'd already forgot about it. So it caused them to think that can't be Jesus coming. That's got to be a ghost because Jesus can't. Do nothing with this storm. Jesus can't walk on water. Jesus can't calm the wind and the sea. Jesus can't get us out of this struggle. We're about to die. We're, we're out here in this storm. We're about to die. They've made God too small. And there are people in this room that know God have done big things for you. But you're worried about the situation you're in now as if God can't fix that. See, if you'd let me, I'd just shake you and slap you. Get it together. Snap, snap together. Get your mind right. Lock in. Don't you know who he is? Didn't he do it before? How can you doubt that he'll do it again? Don't you know that he already beat death, hell, and the grave? Don't you know he's a miracle-working God? Don't you already know he's a savior, a healer, a deliverer? Don't you already know that he can calm every storm and every struggle? Don't you already know this? In your mind, you say yes, but you forgot the significance of it, and it made your heart hard. So what do we do? we got to focus and refocus. You've heard me say it a hundred times. you got to focus on who God is. But what's going to happen? We're going to forget the significance of it. If you're saved at all, when God saved you, you were happy. 
If you're saved at all, when God saved you, you were glad. If God ever did anything for anybody that you loved, you were excited. But what happened? Life has hardened our hearts, and we have forgotten the significance of the fact that he's a miracle worker. We see so few miracles in the world. We see so few miracles in the world because our hearts are hard. And we've forgotten that he's able. You need to turn over everything you have to the Lord. And you need to let him bless it. You need to let him break it. And you need to let him do a miracle in it. And you don't need to start freaking out in your storm and in your struggle. And when the wind is high and the waves are raging and everything in you says, this freak out time. I'm totally undone. I'm beside myself. I don't even know what to do anymore. You just need to let go of the wheel. And you just need to let God do it again. Miracles shouldn't amaze true followers of Christ. They should be expected. They should be expected. You shouldn't be nervous if you know that you're on the Lord's hip. If you know you got God with you, you ought to be able to say, the Lord is for me, I shall not fear. You need to be able to say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm filled up with courage because God is here. People ought to be asking you, don't you see all this going on? Why, why aren't you freaking out? God is here. Not God, some myth, fictional God. Not some fairy tale God. I'm not talking about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. We're talking about a real living, miracle-working God that knows everything about you, that is compassionate to your situation, that loves you, and that is not bound by your struggle. I want you to believe that God is real and that God is able. If you can believe that God is real and God is able, you will not ever get to this place where you're undone. And that's where most people are in life. They're undone. You start thinking wrong. You start operating in fear. You start freaking out. You start making bad decisions. Why? It took you, they were totally amazed. They weren't rowing right. Professional fishermen. They could handle that storm, but they were, they were undone. They, life had gotten so big on them that they started falling apart. Because they forgot that Jesus just did something so unbelievable just hours earlier. Get a testimony. Or just believe what the book says. Jesus said, believe in me because of what I tell you. Or believe what you see. Believe in the miracles or believe in my words. But you better find something about Jesus to believe in. I know that God is able to calm my storm. And I believe that you believe that. But if it's been a long time since you let him do it. Or if he just did it and you didn't give it enough recognition, then your heart can get hard and you will find yourself undone. We need to believe that God is real and that God is able to do the supernatural. We need to live on a supernatural level. We need to live on a level that says, I believe God can. Because too much of what the world is seeing in the church is not supernatural. It's just normal stuff. I want my kids to see the supernatural. I've seen God do supernatural things. I want this city to see the supernatural. I've seen God do supernatural things. And I want you to see the supernatural. And many of you have seen God do supernatural things. And you should not be amazed by your surroundings, your situation, or your circumstance. You should just take courage and know that God is here. Don't let your heart get hard because you see struggle. Don't let your heart get hard because you see wind and storm. Don't let your heart get hard because you find yourself in difficulty. Remember, the same God that did it before is still on the throne. 
and he's my shepherd, and he loves me, and he has compassion on me. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for being who you are. God, forgive us for making you smaller than you are. Forgive us for fear. Forgive us for being amazed at anything that you're capable of. You're bigger than everything. And we ask you to have your way, God. Take everything that we have. Bless it. Break it. And use it for your glory. God, I pray that you'd show the world how big you are. Use us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.